playing, but really playing there. You know, five minutes with this fully be there is much better than 30 minutes where you're just there physically, but you're somewhere else with your mind. <laughs> This is The Source, podcast of the Academy of Experience, an NGO in Hungary, active in the field of youth work and training youth workers. I'm Arpad Barnai, the host of the podcast and one of the trainers of the organization. Peter Rockman and Paula Bortini, they are the guests in the third episode. And the topic is something of great value, I think. It's mindful, compassionate parenting. So that says a lot. Compassion is pretty much of need now. And we cover a lot of topics like how to be mindful of what you do as a parent. And the stakes are high there. You want to do it really good and how to be mindful of what you're doing and how to be compassionate with your kids and with yourself and with each other as parents. So I think it's really, really useful. What I really appreciate that Paula and Peter are very experienced facilitators and they have very diverse experience in supporting people. And they started this line of their work and they do this as parents so they are peers in this sense i think this shows in the conversation and I, i really like their respectful and humble approach to other people i think it is worth listening if if you're a parent but i really find it useful to anyone who feels like i, I want to take care of my personal relationships so as as a parent as a sibling as a son or a daughter and the other other part is that the professional side of it like as a youth worker i think this is good stuff. If I want to put or other labels on, on this episode, this is pretty much also about working with emotions, emotional intelligence and your presence and embodiment of, of who you are and how you show yourself and what role it plays in your work and in your personal life too. I think it's good stuff, really. First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting us. Wow, you have a lot of things doing all kinds of education stuff, internationally, locally, doing sort of training of trainers. And that's not the reason why we talk right now, not the primary reason. The big thing that caught my attention right now is that you are doing mindfulness for parents programs. If you meet someone who is not familiar maybe with Erasmus Plus, how do you describe your vocation? That is a good question to start with. I give it a try. One aspect we tried together, and it's even written somewhere on our website, is that we aim to support people, be it individuals, communities, organizations, in times of change, in times of transformation. So Liminas, the name of our company, comes from liminality which is this phase in between the old and the new. So it's mm. this phase where you're in between, which I suppose we are as a whole global society <laughs> at the point now, very much in a time in between. So I would say personally more and more when working with groups and sometimes with individuals, it is supporting them to find their place in this in-between face in this global community where they can contribute and be in peace with mm. as much as possible. 
that can mean to have to develop some capacities, to develop some even competences. Um, and sometimes it is just to slow down. So all the work with mindfulness and to acknowledge, okay, where am I now in this moment of life? More or less, it all comes down to that. Some of my work is a bit further away from that, or it takes more, more time to explain how it comes mm -hmm. from there to here. And some work is closer to that. Paula, how do you explain it or describe it? While Peter was talking, it came to me a small phrase that I've learned when I was in school. Yeah? And one of these Greek philosophers said, pantarei, yeah? that means everything flows. And I remember at that time that I said, okay, it's so logical. So it's so easy to be a philosopher. Yeah? So why it came <laughs> with such a, a discovery you know, that is, that's normal. Yeah? And actually now thinking of how much attention we give to transition, to change, it really came back to me that for many people it's not so normal, it's not so logical to think of this idea of transformation, yeah? Because we are so much in need also of fixed point, a structure. So for me, my work is really in this direction to help people, yes, to find reference point, but not to be stuck in a status quo that it may be good or it may be, have been good in the past, but in a way it doesn't serve us because it's true that Pantare, everything goes. So for me, this capacity to, to find your strength and to be still in this turmoil around you, in this never-ending flow is very, very important. And I do this. For me, mindfulness is one of the biggest tools in this field because it really invites to pay attention to your capacity to be present, present with what is at the moment. And this invitation to, yeah, for instance, to look at your breath is always new, even if we think it's like the old one. So this capacity also to see constant transformation in us, I think for me is uh, what I like in my job at this moment and what I think is, uh, is very needed. Well, you said uh, constant transformation and there was also this in transition. So in the midst of change, like the two of you said these, and this is pretty much happening in the world right now. It's, I wouldn't say it's a moment of transition it's at least a year of transition but it started earlier even so things are changing and it's not that type of change that we see what's gonna come out at the end but it it's a change where we need uh, to stay open and stay uh, at least partly in peace with not knowing staying there so yeah mindfulness rings a bell in this sense for me but i believe that you didn't end up getting in touch with mindfulness because of this that you know ah oh, yeah yeah 2020 will be the year of COVID, so let's prepare with <laughs> mindfulness <laughs> both of you were trainers in the one of the biggest european training of trainers program that runs for almost a year it's a big thing it's a place to have an impact on educators and people working with people 
and there must have been a reason for moving away from doing more of that and then doing these kind of things. Why did you end up doing mindfulness-based programs? And if I think about what you said, I can imagine, ah, you do retreats or you do training courses or you do online courses. So mm. what's the destination or destination phase you're at now? And how did you end up there? There must be a purpose too. I, because you asked for this story, um, which absolutely is a different story than, than the one of Paula. Because in this program you were mentioning where I was in this program for 13 years. So 13 of these one year courses. I, I cannot appreciate enough, you know, this, the learning I got from this and, uh, and how much I got back from doing that course and meeting so many wonderful people through that. And there was a time then, which is now four years ago, where I felt there's a saying in open space technology for those who know this, this, this methodology for big groups, whenever you feel you cannot contribute anymore or you're not learning anymore, go into another group. <laughs> That's one of these principles there. Keep things flowing and don't stay there and feel, ah, but this is not it anymore and ah, it should be different. So I came to this point very much where I felt, yes, I suppose I could still contribute, but it felt like I didn't have the enthusiasm anymore. I didn't have the wish anymore really to re innovate and to, and to be with uh, what what's needs to be done there. And I didn't know what to replace it with completely. <laughs> this mm -hmm. was quite a big chunk of, of my professional life. But I, need, I, I said very often in mentor talks to individual learners, if you want that something comes in, you need to make space for it to come in. So meaning only if you make some space and see what wants to arrive, then there's a possibility that something new comes to you in a way. Otherwise, if you're busy with and hope that something mm -hmm. new comes, it's a bit more difficult. So I, that was the decision at that time. And there was an intuition that something new will emerge. And at that time, mindfulness already was in my life very much as a personal practice. So I was, yeah, I did some courses and I, I, I found it for myself as a, as a practice, which was very important for me to meditate in the morning, to, to bring it to, to, to settle myself, to be more present. But then it took a while <laughs> until this space, which was empty, filled again with activities with directions and clarity also and there was one aspect which came into this empty space was coming from us being parents of two kids and long before even mindfulness was on our plate we've always felt like you know we want we need to learn about parenting <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. Yes, you can read all kinds of books, but in a way, it's quite a task. So we wanted always to learn in the way we like to learn, by being with others, being in groups, experimenting. So we've organized many different kinds of activities where we could learn, at the same time, supported others to learn about parenting. So it felt almost logical to do something at the time then together with, parent, uh, with mindfulness, because it made sense to us that this is an important capacity in parenting we ran an european project on mindful parenting because that's another way of how we learn <laughs> we mm -hmm. just experiment and and we got funds to experiment 
So then step by step, we got really into this field of, of mindfulness in parenting. And as a last piece now, we've last year, we've followed the teacher training on a very specific course for mindful, compassionate parenting, which is the program we love now the most. And we've just completed one now in, in this autumn period. And that's, a, that's kind of, you has to be understood as a, there's a curriculum, it's, it's quite structured, it has, depending if you do it online or not, eight or 10 sessions. So this is something very specific now, which is a result out of that path, if you want. Adding up to what Peter said, in my career as a trainer, in a certain moment, it became very clear that in these training opportunities, people learn a lot, but then when they go back to the usual context they go back home something was missing yeah it was this uh, capacity to find the inner resources for them to act and translate what they have learned in the training environment into their local reality so for me this was becoming more and more important in my trainer's career and when i got in contact with the theory you of otto Sharma, one sentence was really striking to me because he says uh, the success of an intervention depends on the inner condition of the intervener. So it means uh, if something goes well, it's because my inner state makes that possible, not because my hands, my techniques, my skills mm -hmm. as well but they alone are not sufficient. And this inner condition is what makes the difference. And Otto Sharma says that the source for this inner condition or one of the sources is mindfulness. So that's why I decided to dive into this that at the moment was unknown to me. And I really felt that it makes a difference because it's like having an inner navigator, which is completely different. And my reference point is from inside is not outside of me. Hmm. And this actually is the discovery that the parents make when they come to activities that we organize. So before we organize activity for parents, and much was based on approach which is called the, the way of counsel, which is speaking from the heart and listening from the heart. So really an invitation to tell your own story and to listen to the story of others. And at the beginning, people came and thought, okay, I go there, I can learn some tricks so I can keep my kids quiet or they can behave, they can do what I want. Yeah, I manage them very well. And then for all of them, after a while, they recognize that the different children behave is related to their inner status of the parent. So if the parent is stressed, the kids are stressed. If the parent is in peace, the kids behave differently. Yeah? So for all of them then started this uh, big aha moment and say, oh, I need to work on myself, not on my kids. Because mm -hmm. then how the kids behave is a result of how I feel internally. And this experience was for me at the beginning and then for many parents afterwards. And this is a protocol that we now follow of mindful, compassionate parenting is very much going into this direction. Yeah? For parents, let go your ideal image of a parent. You are just a human being. And this is absolutely enough. 
take care of yourself as a human being and do the best you can. So to, to find this inner peace in doing our daily activities also as parents. Maybe it's easier in context where there is not so much emotional attachment. Yeah? So maybe in a job, it's easy to let go sometimes. Yeah? But with our children, it's very difficult because it's, uh, you have only one chance. You can change a job. <laughs> but as a mother, in a way, you say, I only this kid. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So you want to do the best, which is perfectly understandable. Yeah? Hmm. You reminded me to stories when I hear myself or others first getting in touch with something exciting ah that's a good technique uh maybe as a tool ah let's learn it and then i'd be able to do stuff or in order to achieve a goal and our discovery in our organization was while working with youth especially disadvantaged youth that we might have some tools or techniques that can serve and the most important one is that our state of being really shows it can create trust, can create calm. If you're curious and appreciative of someone, it shows in everything you do. And it has a huge impact that you want to connect to someone. And you don't need to force it, it just happens. So that's our discovery and your words reminded me to this. But that was only the work part. And when I got the first tasters of parenting, then I discovered, oh, oh, there's a level up there so stakes are higher there's no no days off (laughs) and you're pretty much motivated and invested in doing your best and also wanting the best for the kids and we are talking now mindfulness but if someone doesn't know what we're talking about they might think okay if i want to be calm i need to meditate in cushions and asian music in the background (laughs) and the kids should stay out i'm meditating get out and i will be calm then so it's i'm just exaggerating but anyway it, it it's hard to put it in a picture in real life so what's happening there and the other thing was calm there and what if i'm angry Let's start immediately with this, because this is one of these big illusions or sometimes misbeliefs around mindfulness, that it's all a tool to become totally zen, in a way, totally calm. And if you're not, you're not doing it right, or or you're not good enough yet, and no, (laughs) mindfulness wants or intends that you ideally, let's say very often during the day, when you're awake, you are aware of what you are doing right now and what is going on. So the most, what people understand the best is that the opposite is to be on autopilot. You know, the, the, the planes, they're flying on autopilot, which means basically the pilots can almost, but they shouldn't sleep, but they, <laughs> they could basically. So autopilot means I do stuff, do, 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 do. And if I look back and said, Ooh, what has happened now? I don't even remember right, what, what I've done the last three hours. So to be mindful of moments means I'm living them and I know what I'm living through at the time. I'm experiencing some things and I'm aware of what I'm experiencing. So ideally in parent context, that can mean I'm playing with my kids and if I'm an autopilot, I might be playing, but in reality with my brain, I'm already uh, with the work I have to do thinking about an email which has arrived an hour ago and I'm still busy with the reaction 
and I'm playing, my hands are somehow playing with the kid. But part of me, and especially let's say the, the brain part, or even the emotional part is somewhere else. That is not being mindful. Being mindful is I'm fully there with my brain, with my heart, with my body. It's as simple and as difficult at the same time. That's what it is. Because we have so many experiences during a day. We have so much stuff going on. So it's quite normal that we are here and there and there at the same time. If I'm not there, when they grow up, I just missed some years of that. So it's like, it's a huge gift and a huge challenge in these days because a lot of interaction and a lot of triggers intrude our homes also. So what would you add? Like, how does this show? What, what does it mean that I'm mindful and how do I train that? Should I go and sit on a cushion or go to a training course? If I cannot go there, then what? These two elements, no, the formal practice and the informal practice. Maybe this is connected also to autopilot. We are breathing since the moment we were born and our body does it for us automatically. We don't need to pay attention. We don't need to manage this. Thanks God. <laughs> the body <laughs> does all of it. Yeah. And it goes well. One of the key practices when we start mindfulness training is to pay attention to our breath. And we discover plenty of things because we never pay attention to it because we never thought this needed our attention because it goes alone without saying, yeah. So for me, the formal training of mindfulness, yeah, you can sit on a chair, you can sit on a cushion, you can stand, you can lie down, whatever you prefer. But in this moment of stillness, all my attention, all my focus is redirected to one object. In this case is my breath and to discover this and stay with it. And this brings really a sense of calmness, but especially for me, it trains to be patient. Mm. It trains to not pretending that something extraordinary should happen because every breath is different. But if we don't really pay attention, they're all the same. Nothing extraordinary happens when we pay attention to our breath. In this world, that uh, everything needs to be big, everything needs to be fast. Yeah, entertaining. So entertaining exactly so for me this element of being patient and not pretending things to be different as they are to be faster as they are for me is absolutely an added value of mindfulness so we train ourselves we say on a cushion this is called the formal practice to stay with what is happening and the breath and the aspect of breathing is the the basic exercise we say it's always with us and then there is of course the informal practice how can we use this capacity to focus and recharge our batteries in moment during the day that require our attention so it could be a moment that i feel an emotion is coming up and is taking over myself and this ability to recognize this movement, something that is coming, like a wave that is coming and being able to make a step back or to take distance from this wave and mm -hmm. then 
you have the possibility in this way to act differently. So to recognize your patterns, your autopilots, we have more than one. <laughs> there are triggering points in each of us. Mm -hmm. So it's this capacity. And we can practice this um, in every moment of our day. Hmm. There are plenty of opportunities, I can tell hmm. you. Perhaps if I can add to that, because already with the breath, when you do that for the first time, for example, but also when you do it at the thousandth time, what you will notice is that you're not calm because your brain is not calm. Because your, your, your active part in the brain thinks, hey, great, now let's have, ooh, we can think about this, we can think about that, we can think about this. So that's why often people, when they start with mindfulness and they do start with this exercise of now focus on the breath, what they will experience in 99 by 9% is a lot of activity in the brain. And then they think they're doing it wrong. And they think this is not for me. And this is exactly the exercise <laughs> that you, you notice I all want to do is I want to focus on this breath. And what is my brain doing? <laughs> my brain is just top, like a, a bombing me with thoughts. So how is this possible? And then this is purely biological. For our brain to focus on the breath is so boring. And it's like, what are you wanting me to do? This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I have much more interesting things to think about or to put energy in. And this is what you can work with. And you say, ah, this is a thought. Mm maybe I can let it go and I come back to the breath. So that's what you actually practice. Mm -hmm. Having this choice of going with it or just observing it. And having mm -hmm. the choice is already, then you're already a step uh, up Ahead. the ladder. Mm -hmm. ah. Because having the choice means that you're noticing it, ah, <laughs> that, yeah. that you've not been carried away already. <laughs> so. I'm also practicing and for me it was already a sign of progress when I realized ah, now I'm carried away and that was the first sign of having this place in me from where I can have a look at okay I'm taken away by emotions or thoughts I'm already far away from here and uh, mindfulness is in this sense is not something that okay I'm neutral I don't have emotions I'm out of this world and no one can hurt me and I'm a Zen master. No, I'm a human being with a lot of things going on and having the ability to have a look at it, what's going on with me. And having choices. I think mm -hmm. that's what you would like to achieve with mindfulness is that you increase your choices and mm -hmm. you, and less the feeling I'm a victim of, I mean, victim is already strong, but less this kind of feeling that's how it is and that's how I am, am and that's how things are. Perhaps sometimes you react in a way you, would, you don't like to react. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you are in a situation where you feel it's too much. And in parenting, there's often very many opportunities yeah, where you think, I would have liked to have done this differently. Mm -hmm. And then it's just recognizing this before it happens. That's mm -hmm. what we are aiming at. It's, it's especially important because things are never ideal or perfect. I have automatic reactions and some I'm happy with if I have a look at it and some are just part of my heritage. That's what I've seen, experienced. And do I want to repeat it or change it? Then I'm in a very scary or ambiguous 
place because what to do instead and I should know I'm the adult it's very shaky there it's kind of easier or looks easier to go with the the sure one that I know how it looks like the other one has more vulnerability that look I don't know you don't know in your brain but perhaps mm. your body already has a reaction at least that's something you know because you feel it if you pay attention to it and then perhaps you don't know what it means yet but definitely you can say oh <laughs> i feel this knot in my stomach wow something mm -hmm. must be going on because my body has a reaction to this i don't know yet what it means but i can notice this yeah and, and this requires that kind of patience paula mentioned that uh, i don't need to be hurrying and practicing means practicing to go slow with this like right now i don't know what will happen i just noticed that some weird things are going on with me i don't know i feel anxious for some reason i don't know why so let's just pay attention to what's going on but this this needs training and practice kind of thing it's not natural in our daily lives and what i want to get at is that uh, the picture keeps coming back that you you practice as parents with your kids too and also as professionals and uh, if we could ask people around you maybe your kids maybe others what difference did this make what's the <laughs> difference in your reactions then what would they say well i can tell you a little story uh, our second son was having a very good friend and often going to after school to his place on in weekends yeah and um, in a day one day he came back home and said I don't want to go to visit these friends any longer. And then I said to him, okay, but why is your best friends? What happened? And he answered, his father is always shouting at him, doesn't matter what he does. And he was 10 years old. That yeah, so was quite some years ago. Yeah? And he said, yeah, you don't shout at me. Mm -hmm. So that's already um, wow. a sign that a child itself is able to, to see the difference. I can say something more recent yeah, that has happened. Uh, we noticed, uh, still the same son, <laughs> that he was really um, always too serious. I had this feeling he was a bit sad in his way, was sometime, somehow avoiding us. And then Peter talked to him and then he said, well, he feels that you have put a bit too much pressure on him and that you as a mother are not fully appreciating what he does for school, yeah, related to his performance. Mm -hmm. um, and then I took my time to go to him and talk in a moment. I, I didn't just jump on him. <laughs> what did you say? No? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, because this feeling, okay, I'm not a good mother now, but I mm -hmm. said, okay, it feels like that. I thought, so in a moment that he was came, coming into the kitchen when I was there, I took time and also the courage I have to say, to say to him, I'm really sorry that what I did makes you feel not appreciated by me. And that put pressure on you. Yeah. I had all my best intention, yeah, and it was so visible how the transformation uh, was in him through his face, 
Yeah, I really felt that all muscle uh, relaxed in him, mm-hmm. that he felt understood that his problem was acknowledged or his feeling of living in a difficult situation was acknowledged. Yeah, And then we hugged each other. I mean, he's 15. It doesn't really like to be hugged any longer so much. But oh, yeah. it was really a very, very long hug for quite mm-hmm. some time. And really the atmosphere in the family changed completely. Yeah. And I also explain, yeah, and I say, okay, I wanted to motivate you. Sorry if my words didn't land with the same my intention didn't land, was not perceived by you. Yeah. But so is this capacity also to say to our child, I'm sorry, that was not at all my intention mm. to to do something wrong to you eh? and to accept that he perceived this like that and say, yes, I'm a human being. And as a human being, I'm doing mistakes and my capacity to recognize these mistakes is what makes our relation more valuable. So there Mm -hmm. is always a possibility to recover and to heal. Mm -hmm. I think this is wonderful. Yeah. Wow. And for me, it has been a long way. <laughs> if I, as you say, if I think of my education with my parents, sometimes they ask, was it like that when you were a child? And they say, no, <laughs> this would have never happened in my family. So as you said, it's a conscious choice that we make to educate ourselves as a parent, not just to repeat what we have learned from our parents. And also to say they did everything with the best intention. So when I say I don't want to do what they did, it's not to say they were so wrong. I feel they really wanted the best for me, but it landed in a way that it didn't fit me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I try to make possible for my children that things land in a way that is good for them, that it helps them to grow in their dignity, in self-confidence, in being proud of the person they are. Wow. Yeah, thank you for adding this because uh, sometimes it may sound like putting a huge burden on people. Either you have to do it perfectly, fix everything, or the other thing is that now I know what's good, so everything that has has been done before was the bad thing of the past. And it's not that easy. And also it's a huge uh, urge, especially in times of uncertainty, to be right, to know well. And what I heard also from you is that practicing that I don't have to be right. It's not what it means to be an adult. It's having the capacity to be able to stay there with someone else. It's a huge thing also with myself and also with my children. And experiencing this is a very big thing for teenagers. And to to show up as, a, as the human you are not only as the father or the mother. And that can mean to say what I did before was obviously not the right thing to do. And I'm perhaps sorry for this, but I'm angry also now. And I would always like you perhaps to acknowledge that you made this and this made me angry. And to say, I don't know now what's best for us now. Let's keep the connection. I think especially with teenagers, it's, it's that at the end of the day, this feeling of, let's say the love is always there and that's what counts. And that's, I'm saying this to myself also, and I've learned a lot. This has been a path for me and I'm still not there to, to accept that 
it's not so much about the output and if, especially school and all these success factors, we, we, we give so much importance. So I, I talk about myself, not because I was so good in school, but it's something I don't even know where it comes from. But anyway, I, I place an importance to, to effort, not so much to, to, the, to the number at the end, but to the effort factor. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is not all what life is about. Yeah? But to acknowledge that I'm on a path, a path of learning, and I'm, and, and, and I'm I can voice and I can talk about it and I can share it. Yeah? Hmm. So I think it's this human aspect of it, uh, which at the end of the day counts. You said achievement, effort, success, and where it just entered my mind, school. It can be in contrast with all this, or not just saying that school is bad, but can speak a lot about achievement and success and expectations and being right, reasoning, telling the story that's correct, which goes in some sense against this ability of being together, not knowing, showing yourself, showing your emotions and vulnerability. How do you handle this? And what do you know about good examples also? Your question is very much related to rules. Yeah, because school is a place uh, made with a lot of rules, some very openly said and some which are implicit and the kids have to find out themselves by copying the behavior. Yeah. So anyway, uh, rules are also in kindergarten and so, and some often also parents tend to create rules at home. So life goes smoother. And uh, it was very nice in the last, um, course, Mindful Self-Compassion for parents, there was a, a mother that uh, one evening told the story and they say, in order to motivate our kids, because they are always very long and going out to go to school, to the kindergarten is always an issue in the morning. They have these rules. They say, okay, I can't count up to 10. So they inform. And then they start one, two, three, and by 10, the child should be ready. So something needs to be achieved. And she was uh, telling with really a big smile that the daughter, which is three years old, one afternoon said to them, you, I count up to 10 and at 10, the snack for the afternoon needs to be ready on the table. And she started one. <laughs> And she said, wow, at the beginning, I was so surprised. And then I, I did it and I was laughing at it because she said I was laughing at myself, these rules. And she said, I'm sure that if I didn't have this uh, course on mindfulness uh, for parents, I would have reacted completely different mm -hmm. to my child. And to say with this sentence, I'm the mother. I know what to do. How do you dare maybe saying this thing? And this is very much what is happening also in schools, that the teacher have this authority role and it's very difficult for teachers to move into a system or a state of being that looks at the relation more than at the aim of teaching. Yeah, you have to know this mm -hmm. and this and this, yeah. And when we talk with teachers, yeah, this is always an element. If I'm mindful fully, I feel my vulnerability. And then the issue is, how do I deal with it? This is, uh, is a big question mark for mm -hmm. many people. Then I lose this image of myself. 
and many say at the end I'm so strict, so let's say authoritarian, because this is the only way not to get in touch or not to show my vulnerability. For a lot of our experience also, but what you can read in books, a lot of parents suffer from this having strong aims. So the, something to achieve for their child with their child. And school is one area, but then it's very often also about, you know, talents which have to be pursued. The kid is five years and needs also to have piano classes and sports mm. classes. And then there should be a certain level of how the child is autonomous or whatever then the aims are, yeah? Um, and then I think of the profession of the child when it's older and so on. So a lot of parents are in this, in this optimization kind of pressure. First of all, it's important to notice that. So again, you know, here's a mindfulness practice to notice how much I am in that in this past, in a way, yeah? And how much I'm pushing my child also with that. So this is the first thing to, to notice this kind of achievement need. And then the second is, there's this, this happens to many parents, happens also to us, you know, as in a, the little child goes on a bike for the first time, perhaps, and then, and then falls. And then you go there and say, what has happened? And the first reaction could also be, to take the child and hug the child, perhaps, and be compassionate with the child. And it's not important to know what has happened. So what I'm, I'm trying to say with this is the compassion, the relationship, the, the aspect of the love between the child and, and the father and the mother. That's what needs care, attention in all phases of the child. It's a bit easier when it's younger, but also when it's older, the child. And for me, that should be the, the major a place where we put attention to. Hmm. And also, yes, of course, children should achieve also something and they shouldn't just lie on the bed and play with the telephone, of course. But when children feel safe, secure and loved, they, they want to achieve. They want to do something. Mm -hmm. It's a natural human drive. Also this program, that's why it's called Mindful Compassionate Parenting. Yeah? So it puts a strong focus to our capacity, which we have, all of us, the compassion capacity. Mm. It's just sometimes very, how to say, capsuled. <laughs> mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, it's run over by the achievement ego drive. There are two words in this mindfulness and compassion. And uh, none of that is trained very hard, I would say, in a formal way. I, I talked recently to a Hungarian psychologist in the Hungarian version of the podcast. And uh, we talked about mindfulness and also supporting people in these times as a psychologist. So that was his experience. And uh, he said that what he sees that we are talking in a way that sounds like we really should, should be right or make an order in worldviews. It sounds like there are competing descriptions of what's going on and what we miss on is being with the other person and also practicing this capacity of being with someone maybe having tension in their worldviews or just falling off a bike i don't know what to do with this but i when i heard you talking about this program you said mindful 
compassionate parenting. I got really curious, what can you say about this? Because it might mean for someone that, okay, I just feel for everyone and I don't have interests and needs and I don't stand up for myself. I heard it a lot of times. Compassion is dangerous. Then what is compassion in this sense that you talk about? Because it's clearly different. Well, this aspect that uh, compassion is for weak people, yes, as you said, is quite widespread idea and actually is, uh, is not at all. There are several elements, but I would say the most important for me is to say that when you recognize your needs and when you have compassion for yourself, this is a way to strengthen yourself. So to accept that I'm vulnerable, so accepting the status, accepting what, what is happening now, in this moment I don't manage, this becomes a strength for me. Pretending that I'm managing makes me weaker. So apparently pretending that I'm managing, it's a strength because I don't give up, yeah, in, based on the common way of thinking. But actually to accept and say, well, sorry, in this moment, I cannot, I cannot do it. It's too much for me. It, it's, uh, it implies taking stock of the situation. This is a reality. I care for myself and this become a strength for myself. And also to say, not with a, a voice invoking pity, but to say with full dignity, this is very important. Mm -hmm. In this moment, I cannot, it's too much. And you say it as absolutely something that is your right to say. You are not less if you say these things. So this element of accepting the reality, accepting the status quo is very, very important. Otherwise we all function on fake situations. Hmm. And when situations are fake, the relation cannot be real. It's also fake, the situation, yeah? If I fake to love you, our love is fake. If I fake to trust you or to appreciate you, the relation between us is fake. So it's really uh, an interesting change of perspective. And we say that uh, compassion, there is uh, the yin and the yang of compassion, yeah? So the yin is really this accepting our vulnerability, accepting the weakness. And the yang is to say it in a way to say, yes, this is my right in this moment. And there is no discussion <laughs> in a way, yeah? Because my reality is my reality. My story is my story. You cannot say that if I feel uh, weak or tired, you cannot say I disagree. <laughs> because there mm -hmm. is nothing to disagree. It's just the situation, yeah? So to say with this um, full trust that saying is what is correct in this moment, for, not only for me, but also for the relation between the people, myself and the people that are involved, yeah? And so it's really a turning completely mm -hmm. of perspective. Understand this perfectly well. If you confront kids with this kind of very authentic, I'm, I'm sorry, I know you would really like to, to play now. I feel really tired, a bit exhausted from, from the day. I would really like to, to lay down now. They might not be happy with it because their wish is a different one now. 
but they can take it when it comes from this place of, yes, indignity saying, I don't have the strength now. Uh, I, I cannot do this now. I would say, but now this is perhaps the most, most, most important learning aspect in this program. Because the maturity of mothers, because the maturity of mothers, but it's this father thing as well, but even mothers is this kind of wishing to do the best, which very often leads to this feeling stressed because I'm not doing the best. So then you say, ah, but I should do this now like this. I should now be more mindful. And then I have a situation tomorrow where I'm not mindful again. And then shit, I'm not mindful. Mm -hmm. Oh, fuck, I'm so stupid. I cannot be mindful. That doesn't lead you anywhere. It just produces or, or reinforces stress in your system. So that your system needs some calming and soothing to calm down. And this is the self-compassion part of it. So one thing is the compassion towards kids, but that is normally not the big issue because most parents have that. They might not, some to express it might be a bit more difficult for some, but, but what most parents by now really have difficulties even to understand cognitively mm -hmm. is to be compassionate with oneself. Hmm. It feels exactly, it feels weak. It feels egoistic, self-centered. And this is not job. The job is to be there for others, hmm. and for my children. Wow. What we might forget this way, by doing this, by practicing self-compassion, you also let your children experience that. What, what does it taste like? So exactly. ah, it looks like this. Okay. Exactly. Like exactly. setting boundaries, taking care of yourself. Absolutely. You and give permission, which yeah. is very important. Mm. Yeah. You give them permission also to be weak and to say that this part of reality mm. in uh, there is a wonderful exercise in the mindful compassionate parenting course, which talks about normality. And they say, oh, your child is normal. And many people feel, oh my gosh, that's not good. Yeah. Everybody wants to have a special, <laughs> they want a champion. Yeah. But actually in reality, <laughs> the huge majority is people that are normal. So and that's wonderful that we are normal. Not everybody needs to be in <laughs> super special and the champion. You reminded me to something also that for me, it came late. But now I can connect to this, that if you do sports, athletes are yeah, yeah exploited in some sense. But if, if you have a look at how they are taken care of, if there's no honesty in how they are, it's not going to work. They should tell if there's pain somewhere. Because if you lie to yourself or to people around you, you get injured. And if we just talk about achievement itself, actually there it's not going to work either that that you don't practice self-compassion like i want to be at my best so i need rest so i need to recharge because otherwise i'm going to be burnt out and what i've seen that okay this is sports but if if i think about people helping others i can tell for sure but i've heard others saying these kind of words that i want to do my best i have to perform I should be there for others and giving this permission to yourself also that, okay, today is not my day. So in this match, I sit on the bench. I'm not in that state. It's not good for them, not good for me. And 
practicing this self-compassion can also teach your colleagues that there are different states of being with people and and sometimes it's even better that you just acknowledge that hmm, this is not who i want to be it's it's one of the definitions of self-compassion is if you speak to yourself or treat yourself as you treat your best friend or as you speak to your best friend there's this one exercise also we do which is then you know you haven't you imagine a situation where you know you you failed in doing something in a way you wanted to do it better and then listen to yourself what have you said how you how did you react to yourself and your best friend tells you the same situation and how do you react to this best friend and as you can imagine for the vast majority is is very very different huh? so they speak very compassionate to the best friend in a way and then try to soothe the supportive friend and to yourself many you know make it even of saying yeah that was bad and you know why didn't i manage and i failed and mm-hmm. so being very critical and, and strong and harsh to yourself mm-hmm. that's this mm-hmm. achievers the achievers mindset but this is a part in us and that is not only bad but there's also this caring compassionate regulation system in us and that's the one which often needs a bit more attention at parents that's one let's say big big emphasis we have in the course it sounds like paying attention to my self-talk and putting this additional line in that like okay if if it was my best friend what would i say to that person or you have little body gestures in a way we 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 suggest to people sometimes to really try whatever fits to you if you put yourself a hand on the shoulder or even on the heart but not everybody likes that but or just holding your hands so physically also giving your body the suggestion okay cool today is a hard day i'm really i'm really tired now well, it's just a difficult period now and it's biologically that is a that's a message to the body of saying <sighs> and it has not changed the situation it's, the situation remains practically the same but the way you act you react you respond to the situation is very different and another very key element in mindful self compassion is to to recognize the common humanity so the fact that mm-hmm. we are not alone and for me it was very touching when a mother said I'm coming because I don't have anybody else with I could talk to about myself being a mother. Mm-hmm. Not even to my husband. So I tell my story and nobody judges me for what I did. You are listening and I listen to the story of others and I feel that others have the same problem that I have. So I'm not alone. And for many, this is reassuring to say, I'm not such a bad mother. I just had a bad day. And this is very, very important. Even from women which are very strong and have very good career at work, they are sometimes these two months, two worlds apart. And, and they say, yes, at home, I'm completely different. I'm insecure while maybe at work, I, I know what to do and so but at work, you talk with a lot of people, you have training, you learn to be a parent, you don't learn. You, you have inherited somehow, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe you read some book, but this possibility also to talk to other parents and to share this common humanity and to learn from each other is it's a wonderful element as well.
these sentences i should do like this i should finish this a lot of tasks like these are just check boxes tuck, 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 tuck. and if there's some unchecked i feel that it's not good enough it's not enough and putting mindfulness on this kind of checklist doesn't help because I'm, I'm not done with my phone. Come on. I haven't done my meditation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it's not on the checklist, but maybe it's part of how I treat my checklist and myself, it can give you a lot of ease and maybe just free air to breathe. And then there's some beautiful practices you can do without doing your, I still think, to do a morning practice or to do a one meditation a day is very, very supportive. But even if you don't do that, there's many opportunities to practice during the day. There's one exercise we have, we call your child as a precious stone with this idea, you know, perhaps you want to sit down, your child is playing somewhere or it's just writing and, and homework at the table. Sit your side in three minutes, just watch and observe your child as if you had never seen it before. Just, just notice it with this open mind and this open heart. What are you observing? What are you noticing? That's a mindfulness exercise. It's this moment of sitting down together and perhaps having these three minutes of talking to each other, of playing, but really playing there. You know, five minutes with this fully be there is much better than 30 minutes where you're just there physically about yourself somewhere else with your mind. <laughs> There's many moments where you can just very consciously be there fully. It sounds like the breath, the breath itself could be, yeah, it's kind of boring. We do it all the time. It just happens. But if you cannot breathe, it becomes very important thing. <laughs> and it's also with people around us. They are just my people. But if you have just the thought of missing them, then you realize, come on, how important they are. These practices can serve also as a practice of appreciation. It sounds like putting aside the perceived image of them and really paying attention. Yeah. Sometimes when I watch the kids playing, I remind myself, this won't last forever. You are witnessing something extraordinary happening. And it hmm. comes to this question, what is really, really important? I remember from the beginning when mindfulness was not on our plate yet. And, and we had inherited both of us from two family systems, different rules when we eat. And I think every family has this issue around rules around the eating table. And I think many families make this experience with the younger children, especially that somehow there isn't that's that they don't land so well <laughs> most of the <laughs> with natural desires and behaviors of three, four, five, six, seven-year-olds. Yeah? So slowly asking yourself, this rule, is this really important? And then if you have a good answer, then try to explain this to your kid. But if you don't have a good answer, drop it. <laughs> mm -hmm. What are you losing? So what is really important, especially with rules, very often ah, you'll find, wow, Maybe mm -hmm. it's just because we did it at home like this or because one does like that. Mm -hmm. So that's a norm, a somehow cultural norm. Well, it's pretty much speaks also to where I am at home. Being at home is where I can be myself, be with myself, relax, not just behave. I spoke to some colleague of mine. He's a psychologist also about uh, 
was the service he provides. And he just said, for a lot of people, it's, it's not natural to be in their own company. And there are a lot of things that they are not aware of or they are not friends with in their feelings, emotions, or in their life stories. And actually, if there was this kind of home for people, not so much therapy would be needed. So healing could take place more naturally. And this, in a way, what I would encourage people. I, I really encourage people to take the course, Mindful Compassionate Parenting, because it's a wonderful discovery of yourself as a person. It's a possibility to become aware of patterns that you have. And it's giving you the possibility to, to take the courage to change what you want to change. Once you become aware that something is not the best for you, then it's an only a question of time, but the road, the indication is there. How can you become a better person before then becoming a better parent? Yeah. Hmm. And we know, as I mentioned before, we put so much emphasis on being mother and father because, yeah, we have only one chance. Encourage is really the right word because you need courage. Courage, yeah. yeah. Courage to think about yourself, courage to take time for yourself. And if you take time for yourself, everybody else will benefit. And I like this, you mentioned, Arpi, this question of the home, you know, this, this, this special place. And, and I think to really become a conscious designer of this home, I don't mean which, which furniture you put into your <laughs> place, but what is the home I would like to create for my Bronco for my family. So this becoming a conscious designer in a way. And in this kind of not so material sense, but in the more relationship aspect, how do I want the atmosphere to be? You know, how would I like to be that kids look back to this place once they are out of there? And then you come back to this question, what is really, really important? Hmm. Sometimes the the lunch at that day might not be so important, but to sit down and play or, or fight together because that's just the age of the kids, whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. um, is more important than having lunch. Just to take any stupid example, but it's sometimes it's this kind of lunch has to be. I said, oh, yes, <laughs> today we can eat a sandwich and we maybe not have to prepare lunch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our conversation reminded me to something. We talk about home and family, which can be soft, warm, cozy, like a nest. So we're talking about very soft stuff. Being with kids can be really tough and challenging. It takes a lot of courage to be in this uncertainty that I don't know, is this normal? Are they all right? What if they take drugs? Oh, I don't know what happens. I hope they are well. They arrive to school. So a lot of thoughts. And they go through a lot of crises. Crises meaning small C crises and big things. Yeah. The emotional development and brain development takes, I don't know, 25 years. And in some ages, you just cannot control your emotions. So this being able to be there is being okay with someone having very extreme emotions and staying there. And a lot of emotions and then... Uh, psychological first aid, I, I was learning about that. And what I really like 
in one approach is they say you need to promote calm and create hope, connect with other people, being clear, and also take care of yourself, this kind of stuff. And to summarize it, they say you need to use your humanness for a good purpose. Sometimes when parents or, or educators meet extraordinary situations in teenagers' life, we might get scared. Okay, but I don't know. I'm not experienced in drug issues or bullying. But if you think about that, what's the recommendation for people taking care of super extreme injuries? Just this, like use your humanness, this capacity, because that's what helps people to handle their own stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you have any experiences with this, like handling tough situations or supporting people in finding their ways of handling that. Maybe one thing that I would like to say is that it's very important for people not to approach mindfulness while, when they are in a huge trouble. Yeah. Um, I think what is important is really to, to start when you are well. If I can give you an example, I need to learn to swim when the sea is calm. I cannot think to learn to swim when mm -hmm. the, the sea is uh, agitated because everything is more difficult and my chances of success are much lower. So this idea to start cultivating the relation with the kids is something very important that we start when they are young. Yeah, they are small kids. And because we cultivate this, then we arrive at an age that could be considered more problematic. Uh, adolescence, you were mentioning drugs and smoking, all these things, where we have this relation. So the basis are created for conversation to happen. The trust is there. If we have uh, always uh, punished the kids, and when they arrive at the age of 16, 17, which are huge, full of muscles, if they are <laughs> boys, yeah, and they are bigger than me, and they shout at me, I would say it's a bit late to start. Still, you mm -hmm. can start. Mm -hmm. yeah? But you have created a tradition of relationship. Mm -hmm. So when mother says, well, my child doesn't respect me, and, and then you go back and see the history of the relation and you say, yeah, but you never appreciate what he did. You never spend time with him. Many things come out. Then you say, well, it's not a surprise that this situation is very difficult because some parents say, well, I'm a good mother. I'm a good father. I don't need to come to the course. And then they say, it's exactly this, that you come because you feel you are good in this moment. So you can cultivate mm -hmm. better the resources you have for keeping the relation with your kids. Because it's not for bad parents, the course. Absolutely. That's not the aim <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. to become good parents. It's for parents who want to leave parenthood in a way that is good for them and for the kids and start when things are going well. And secondly, how to deal with situations when they show up, uh, which are, are kind of potentially overwhelming or very difficult and challenging. And I think you, you said it yourself, Api. I think if you manage to stay, and I come back to the compassionate relationship side, if you can be and stay with that, even if there's 
you know, there's a lot of smoke. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of smoke. But what must be the main intention is, am I still in contact with this child? Am I still, are we still having a, a channel open to each other? Because if I only deal with the smoke mm-hmm. and I forget about the child next to the smoke, yeah, you might get the smoke, might get a little bit less, but then it comes big again. It gets a little bit less and becomes big. It will just be a symptom. It's like these pills, which only kills symptoms. So that's what Paula said in a way. Of course, if, if I have managed to establish a channel which was always open and I arrive then when smoke is appearing, then I can still work on that channel, which means the child, there's, there's trust because the essential, essential trust is you are okay. I love you. That was shit what you thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's smoke now mm-hmm. <laughs> coming out of that shit. But I talk on this channel where there is written in it, you are okay, I love you. It can also help to to have a look at things turning out to be bad. If I know that, yeah, I can trust my parents, that they're going to be like this with me. I can practice looking at things that turned out to be not well done. That's a good practice also as becoming an adult. Uh, speaking about practice, you said you practice on a daily basis. I believe it's some form of meditation. How do you promote or communicate this to your kids or what's their relationship <laughs> to this? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because when we, it's years ago now, but when we started to do it very regularly and then we had we bought our cushion and then it was clearer then there's a place where we do this the younger one and i don't know how old he was then 10 perhaps and he was coming as well and sitting next to <laughs> but after i don't know 60 seconds or so and now <laughs> what do we next <laughs> of course we said you know this is open and we explained what we do apart from this one attempt it, it never seemed tempting for them to to do the same thing and then it's not long time ago. They're 16 and 15 now. Yeah? Then the conversation was around falling asleep. And so, and then they said, uh, yeah, sometimes it's difficult. The older one said, and then mm-hmm. what I do is I, how did he say exactly? He said, I develop a method. I'm focusing on my breath and then I feel asleep. So, and the, the younger one said in school, sometimes before tests that he slow, slowly focuses, he tries to focus on, on the breath in a way. And the older one is now doing in school, they offer this facultative kind of classes in the afternoon. And one teacher offered mindfulness meditations and he chose those. It's exactly that kind of trust that the role modeling works to a certain extent. Mm-hmm that way it, it, it's it's i'm totally in trust um, mm. that they take a lot from that they just saw the effects and they they could make their own choices apparently the younger one says when he talks about parents from other families and away from his friends and they say yeah they're a bit different but, but they are not mindfulness parents as you are our time is is running now rounding it up kind of you do this course in german and you plan to do it in english too it's online or physical course or what's your vision about that? The online was a result from the pandemic. This was not the original plan. And then it turned out to be a very, a very valid option. So yes, we've done a German one now and we will, from beginning of March, we will offer in English an online mindful, compassionate parenting for 10 weeks. 
every week there is a two hours session and you get materials and so on. So it will be on Tuesday morning from 10 to 12, starting from the 2nd of March. The evenings become very late. So that's why we wanted to offer it now. And I know that works better for some people than for others. But for now, this is what we would like to um, try out here. And in life, we'll do it in Vienna. And that will happen, but not before autumn next year for anybody who is in mm. Vienna. But that will be in German then again. And you, you do a lot of other things too. What comes up in my mind, essential always, nature and mindfulness, like the from knowing to being course or the previous project you just closed on regenerative cultures. So if people listen to us speaking and they think, oh, come on, I want to get in touch with Limina and Paul and Peter, what are you open to and how can they reach out to you? Well, if they go to the website, limina.at uh, for Austria, they find our contacts. Actually, in this website, this not exactly everything that we do. So especially this element of mindfulness is in a separate website, which is mindfulparenting.at and .et for Italy. There are two mm. websites. And now we are thinking of putting up something in English also, because now it's German and Italian. And for the essential oils, there is another website. So things are... <laughs> growing also in this aspect with exactly the intention to devote a website to a topic so it's much easier also for the people to find what they want but if they want to know more our addresses telephone number email address are on the website mm -hmm. and this is the first contact point i would really suggest to go you know we come back to the beginning anyway we've learned so much through being in in connection, in networks, and in with very different communities and different people. So we we are open, continue to be open for suggestions, also for collaborations. We have been in several also European collaborations. So we have an international, let's say, an international focus, or let's say, a European focus, definitely. And at the same time, we are quite local, also here in Vienna. So it's both, but it comes closer and closer to this what supports us to be in this time of transition what are the capacities that help us to be here in peace and at the same time slowing down but not falling asleep eh? and it means kind of slowing down and still responding to what's out there that's big service now i would say thank you for doing that doing what you do and also thank you for this conversation yeah i really believe that it's pretty much of, of need and response to some situations we are in as parents and as human beings. Thank you, Api, for, for doing this. Also, your work, I know, is highly, highly necessary and absolutely vital. It makes a difference to the life of many young people and for this podcast series. Thank you for being here, two of you. It's just walking the talk, parents talking about this. Ciao. Ciao. For listening to this episode of the podcast. The Academy of Experience, our organization, celebrates its 15th birthday this year and we invite you to join us. Join us in the celebration and also follow our podcasts and events online or offline and if you can participate also. We are also grateful for any kind of feedback 
for support to our work. Regarding this, we really leave it open to you. In what channel would you wish to give us feedback or what kind of support you would like to offer us? We would be grateful for that. Thank you for being with us and hope to see you back soon.